Listen up, get ready, I'm not gonna take no more. There's a revolution, a revelation going on in my soul. Buckle up, get ready, we're not gonna sit back. Okay, here we go. Friends and neighbors, family, comrades, all citizens of the world. Wherever you're going, wherever you're coming from, wherever you're at, we welcome you to another edition of the Live from the Heartland show. I am Michael James here in Chicago in the very blue 49th Ward, and we are recording this on the 25th of October for on-air streaming and TV. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, there's a lot of news, a lot of things to cover. Let me just pique your interest a little bit. We have two guests today. We're going to have Veronica Ariola, who is a longtime women's rights advocate and is the chair of the Police District Council for the 24th District here in Chicago. And then we're going to have another good friend, David Orr, who was the mayor of Chicago for a couple of days back in the day. He's going to talk to us a little bit about the Board of Review and why that's important to pay attention to with an election coming up early in the next year. So some good things that happened this week. I went to a benefit for our Alderwoman Maria Haddon, and I had the honor and the pleasure of meeting our new mayor, Brandon Johnson. I didn't raise any questions about the police or about the immigrants. I just said, keep up the good work, and we did the power handshake. It was nice to meet him. You know, a lot of times I collect things to share, but I'm going to just tell you a little bit about what Don Rose, who's a longtime activist and political operative and uh, journalist, and he comes on the show pretty regularly. He had a little good news for a change in his weekly column. And he, he said, if anyone doubts about the potential of Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney Fannie Willis's RICO indictment of Donald Trump and 18 others, last week's plea by Kenneth Cheeseborough, and since then, a bunch of other people. Architect, he was the architect of the fake electors gambit to overthrow Biden's election. It was great news that he basically decided to uh, give it up, plead guilty down in Georgia. It's also a good thing that Don Rose noted, and I would have noted too, that Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio did not become elected to the Speaker of the House. But as we do record this today, they did just elect a new speaker, and that would be a fellow named Mike Johnson out of Louisiana. And Mike Johnson is an election denier. He's anti-LGBT. He's anti-gay marriage. And we'll see how he does. You know, we do need to pass a budget. We have spending things. There's a lot of issues. There's money going to uh, Ukraine, to Israel, that kind of thing. So let's hope that Congress can do some things. Uh, another good thing that happened was Trump blew his gag order, and the judge just fined him and threatened more fines if he continues to post things online and speak in negative ways about people in the courtroom. On the very negative front, we have a serious situation continuing in the Middle East. There's a lot to be said, and we probably will have some guests talking about it. We did talk a little bit about it with Tom Clark last week. But I do I just want to say I still think Israel is very much an apartheid nation. It's been a long line of attempts to bring Palestinians and Israelis together, and it hasn't happened yet. There is a tragedy over the people killed in Israel and a continued tragedy with the bombing and killing of people in Gaza. 
We call for, and I'm saying we call for, I'm, this is my position right now, no ground invasion, release the hostages, stop the bombing, a ceasefire, let people of Gaza out, and let's have a two-state solution. Biden is trying to walk a really fine line over this with support for Israel, as well as acknowledging the treatment of Palestinians, particularly if Israel does a ground invasion. Another negative thing, which I referred to earlier, was Mike Johnson is the new MAGA, Speaker of the House. He is an election denier, actually the architect of a lot of that, and he was opposed to gay marriage, LBG rights, and he invokes a lot of talk of God when he talks. Okay, on the labor front, Screen Actors Guild is still out. I think CVS and some other pharmacy, they're going out for a few days. United Auto Workers are really hitting it heavy in Texas with some of the best, most profitable plants down there now being shut down. And uh, we'll try to have a more updated labor report soon. On Tuesday, 5,000 workers walked out of GM's Arlington, Texas. Probably they wanted to go watch the World Series, which will be in Arlington. With that, uh, they make uh, the big high margin SUVs, such as the Chevrolet Tahoe and the Cadillac Escalade, and they are now on strike. Uh, there is some hope that there's a breakthrough on this with a report that the United Auto Workers are getting somewhere in their negotiations with Ford. So we'll know more. Two announcements. Uh, Nuclear Energy Information Service is having a night with the experts, a Dr. Roger Johnson, nuclear radiation and public health specialist. He's going to talk about the long history of government subterfuge. That's Thursday, November 2nd. If you want to get involved and be a part of that, contact the Nuclear Energy Information Service. That's N-E-I-S at N-E-I-S dot org. And there's a big hoedown at uh, Green Mill, mostly jazz, uh, this coming Sunday. That would be the 29th. A lot of performers are going to do the music of Ennio Morricone and John Cage. Uh, be lots of performers. So guests coming up, I think next week we're going to have a fellow who I haven't met, but I have his new book, Artworks, How Organizers and Artists Are Creating a Better World Together, Ken Grossinger. And for those of you who are watching the show, either on Can TV or on YouTube, you can see the cover of the book. And uh, we're going to have him talking about art. And we have some other guests scheduled coming up in the future. We have Alderman Vasquez coming up in a couple of weeks, and we have people from the uh, Roman Susan Gallery coming up. And I'll just throw in here that my new book is out, Rising Up Angry, Our Fight for a Better World. And the Susan Roman Gallery is sponsoring a book signing and reading on November 20th at Burger Park on Sheridan Road. And I hope you all can come. I think the first People who come in will get a free copy of the book. I'm not sure how many, but a bunch. Okay, uh, one last thing I will throw in here is that President Biden is looking for ways to tame American gas prices if turmoil in the Middle East sends them soaring. Also, last week we had Mary Driscoll and Steve Tappas talking about uh, rising up angry, and we had uh, Cousin Adam's report uh, Adam James talked a lot about boxing and sport in general. And on the sport front, the Bears did win. It was really great to watch it. They have a new quarterback, or he was filling in. The Bulls begin playing tonight 
And that'll be it. We're going to take a little musical break, and our engineer, Hal James, will give us something to listen to, and then we'll be back with our first guest. So stay tuned here on the left end of your dial. Welcome back to Live from the Heartland. I'm Michael James here in Chicago up in the 49th Ward. And it brings me a lot of pleasure to bring on our next guest. He is no stranger to the airwaves, no stranger to this show. Uh, he was our alderman way back in 1976 when he first won that position. Then he became the mayor of Chicago for a couple of days after the great Harold Washington passed away. And then he became the biggest vote getter in the county and of a longtime Cook County clerk, the one, the only David Orr. Hi, David. How you doing? <laughs> I'm fine, Michael. I don't want you to make me three years older, though. I was first elected in 1979, but thank oh, you. Oh, well, okay. I thought it was. We didn't. I remember, well, we I remember when you were elected. I just, those years start to blend together for me. I got to be honest. Well, we had uh, you great know, you, uh, you've done a lot of things in your lifetime, and a lot one of the things has been to um, not only expand voting rights here in Illinois, be an inspiration for that going around the country, but you also keep us abreast of what's going on in the political arena, what's good, what's bad. And um, in a number of cases, you know, you bring up things like down ballot items and people running that a lot of people don't pay attention to. So you and I were talking very recently, and you wanted to come on and talk a little bit about the Board of Review. So we're going to get a little education, a little insight. Spill the beans, Dave. Well, um, obviously, it's important that we vote. It's important that uh, there's a lot of talented people run for office. But I, I want to talk about what I think is the most rigged position in Cook County. And remember, that's saying a lot. OK, um, and and it's also something that, believe it or not, we can do something about. OK, what I'm talking about is the system created, you know, by Madigan and Burke and Berrios. And now this guy, Larry Rogers, who's running for reelection. This is a really nasty system. Uh, we talked about it a lot when Joe Berrios was assessor. 
okay? The system is fairly simple. Everybody wins except the public. All those attorneys, they make a ton of money finding claims even when they don't need to. You know, oh, you're being taxed too much, so you go to the lawyers. Okay? The lawyers fill Mike Madigan's and Larry Rogers and Berrios's pockets on a regular basis. Um, but what they also do, what Berrios did, but it's no longer happening with Fritz Kage there, um, but what the board review is still doing, because it's a three-person board that still has the power to let um, you know, personal digs get in there. I don't know what the hell else to say it. You know, this special privileges. So like Trump Tower and all these powerful people, uh, mostly big commercial, what they do is they appeal these things. And a lot of times they might get 20 or $30 million reduced on their assessment. Whenever that happens, like I did a Trump Tower and the, um, in so many places I could go on specifically, when that happens, who pays that difference? If Trump is assessed a lot less, and there's all this um, money that still has to be raised for the taxes, well, we all do. So it's the average homeowners, the moderate homeowners and so forth, and the smaller business that have to make up all this stuff. It's been going on forever. The reason I'm so excited and we connect with down ballot is this scheme and the reason it's been so successful over the years is because people don't understand it. They don't understand the assessment process. Well, what the hell is a board of review? Well, the Board of Review is a three-person board that acts like they're all gods and they have tremendous power. But what has happened, strike one, was when all these investigators finally found out what Madigan had been doing with Berrios, this rotten scheme to the core of ripping people off. And so Berrios loses to Fritz Kage, step number one, strike, strike, strikeout number one. Strikeout number two is when Madigan had schemed was put a guy named Michael Carbonaggi in as um, ninth district committeeman, and then to make him the circuit court clerk, another very powerful patronage position. Um, well, he lost that circuit court clerk position, but also then when he ran for re-election on the county board, one of the three, Samantha Steele, reformer, came along out of nowhere and beat him. No one thought that could happen. Okay, so strike two. Now. The worst of the bunch, and the one who's still around on board of this guy named Larry Rogers, fairly popular, smooth, a fancy trial attorney, very wealthy father. Um, he is on there, and he's basically Madigan's little go-to guy since 2004 on the board of review. And I can spell out facts for everything I'm saying. Okay, but what I'm saying to the voters here, by voting this race, it's the only board of review um race open. There's a young woman named uh, Larisha Tucker, who, by the way, has great background. I mean, she has assessing experience. She has real estate experience. She's a former military officer. Uh, she's decided to take on this massive challenge. This is not an easy challenge when you, this is like challenging Madigan. Um, but the point is, this could be strike three. And if we were able to end that scam, uh, it would do wonders for so many hundreds of thousands of homeowners who are paying right now, in many cases, over $500 a year in extra taxes to make up for what the Board of Review skims by hurting them. Now, that I've gone on a little long, so Michael, jump in there, but um, there are things we can do about this. People, oh, you can never do this. Well, Fritz did it, Samantha Steele did it, um, and what I want people to understand is this is Mike Madigan, Ed Burke, 
Joe Berrios and Larry Rogers. I hate to put it in blatant terms, but it's Madigan, the overall boss, the key Latino person, Joe Berrios, and the key black person, good old Larry Rogers. And that's the way they've done things for decades. They've made themselves fortunes. One other thing, and then I'll take a break here, Michael. Larry Rogers, 80% of all the money he's raised, incredible amounts of money. 80% has all come from these real estate tax attorneys. They, they practice before Larry Rogers. It's almost like a judge. They practice before him on all these things, and they takes all their money, as did Berrios. Uh, Samantha Steele said, no, I'm not going to do that. So she is not taking money from any of those tax attorneys. The rest of the money comes from a great scheme from our good old friend, Michael Madigan. Um, he always finds ways to, he's got about 60 top givers in the old 13th Ward. They're still given, by the way. These are all patrons, employees, big jobs, $130,000, jobs, $120,000 pensions. And who do they give to? They give to Mike Madigan, they give to Joe Berrios, and they give to Larry Rogers. And if you track this stuff over the years, it's consistent as the sun coming out in most days. Okay, let me stop there, because I just think there's a great chance to stop this scam, this decades-old scam, that hurts average homeowners so much and makes certain people rich and powerful and they don't serve the public interest. Okay, Dave, let's start by first one more time giving me the difference between Chris Cahey being elected the assessor, which we considered a great victory, although some property owners at, uh, that I run into in the Y in the morning in the weight room, they don't necessarily like him very much. <laughs> And, well, sure. Uh, he, he, right. And that's understand. He gets blamed for all these things. But um, again, he's not taking any money from these tax attorneys. He's gotten all these great reviews from the major national assessment group saying it's more transparent, it's more fair, but it's a messed up system. Uh, and so the opposition uh, has done its best to try and blame Fritz for the things they created. But go ahead. So, so if he if uh, Fritz K, he assesses my house at a certain amount, I can go before the board of review and uh, appeal it or have my lawyer do that kind of thing. Is that what it works? Yes. So they're the oversight and they get to make a final decision. It's not, well, not necessarily final, but yes, they make a decision. Um, the thing about it is this is you got to give it to the extra Chicago twist. It wouldn't be so bad that there's another round of, of someone can challenge it. You know, right. we, we all believe in second chances. The problem is, unlike almost everywhere in the country, these lawyers spend all their time and all their money. Oh, you got to appeal. You got to appeal. Okay. And they make a fortune. Okay. Off you appealing. You don't necessarily get that much. But nobody else does it like Chicago and Cook, where so much money goes to lawyers. These challenges, other places, they do it right. If the assessments are right to begin with, people, oh, I don't have to go appealing everywhere. Okay. You should only appeal as if you think hey, you may not like it because taxes go up sometimes, but that's the difference between Chicago and Cook and the rest of the country. Okay, so yes, and I don't want to go into it right now. We don't have time today, but there's a whole other thing that's just as scammy as the one I'm talking about, something called PTAP. There's a further thing for the very powerful and rich. They can appeal and it's all insiders. Um, and sometimes that goes on for years, like in the Trumps of the world, they appeal to the third, this third body, okay? So that, I can't even get it to now. It's, it's a body we don't need and should be done away with. But these are reforms that, because there's so many powerful people, I can list all the politicians. I remember, Madigan and 
you know, his law, his law firm was enormously successful in this stuff, as well as Ed Burke's. In fact, Ed Burke, as you for following his trial coming up, his lawyers were able to say, listen, the judge, please do not mention Trump's name because that will prejudice people against Burke. But I don't have to listen to that, okay? <laughs> uh, Burke knows what a scam it's been with Trump and all that. So, so the David, point is- David, let me jump in. The, go ahead. So the Board of Review is three people? Yes. And we have, uh, you're talking about one person, this fellow Rogers, who you uh, think is the, the negative factor. How about the other two? Where are they at? Well, the thing is, he's the only one up for office now. Um, we, there's there's three now that Samantha Steele, I mean, totally shocked She's, the world. Samantha I Steele. We, I remember when we all supported Samantha Steele. Yeah. It was very surprising. No one thought she could win. She did win. Doesn't take money from the folks. She's a professional. All right, making a lot of changes, but it's hard because there's two oddballs. There's Larry Rogers, who's been there forever. There's Mike Madigan's right-hand person, even though he likes to call himself independent. <laughs> um, and then there's a guy named Cardenas. Cardenas was an alderman that uh, Samantha, we're all hoping that maybe he turned out to be okay. Well, he hasn't turned out to be okay at all. But again, if this woman I mean, uh, named, named Larisha Tucker, who I don't, I don't really know well at all, but I'm, I'm really proud of her that she's gonna do this. Um, and she could pull off exactly what Samantha did. Then they'd have two out of three. And that could totally change all this and end some of these scams and Larisha would do also what Samantha does, doesn't take money from these tax attorneys, okay? So all of a sudden, the scam becomes much less, much less influential, and we can get back to some more honest dealings. David, do you think the structure of the Board of Review is okay? It's just a matter of electing good people? Well, I, I don't like much about it, period. Uh, again, it's there, it's there for the scam. Okay, you can have some sort of appeal process. The entire thing they've acted. I could go into this for hours talking about Blair Rogers. He's for, for decades ignored warnings and threats and rulings of the Board of Ethics over and over again. Okay, he just does what he wants, as did Berrios until they finally called him under the rug. Um, so no, it's a very patriarchal thing. They ignore all the rules, the the, the proper things. Um, so I'm not saying we necessarily get rid of the Board of Review. Step number one is clean it up and, and help hundreds of thousands of homeowners. And then we can see how much is necessary. Uh, it only gets us attention because of these lawyers that send out stuff. I get them every day. Yeah, I get them in the mail. They, they got more money than you, know, than you can imagine. And so they send all these notices and they have all these hearings. And again, I'm not saying I'm not saying they're all bad people. I'm just saying it's a bad system. So Samantha Steele won, and what would you recommend that Tucker do to also win? And how do you think it was that Samantha won? Was it a just a progressive turnout, and it just lined up that way, or it was? Uh, many politicians make the big mistake. Everybody knows me. Everybody knows me. Now there are some where most people do know. But a lot of politicians, they didn't know who Michael Carbonacci was, okay? And usually that's okay. Mike Madigan can pick somebody, put him in there, and do what he wants with him, okay? Uh, Larry Rogers is an insider name, okay, uh, with the wealthy, but they don't necessarily know him either. So the, the key to this is whether or not a, uh, a reformer like this Larisha Tucker can pull this off. 
I'm saying she has to be tough. Okay, I may sound tough to many of you, but by, by tough, I mean, you gotta be honest. This is a total scam and there Rogers the heart of it. He put out a press release today saying something about how he's an independent. He's independent uh, and that's critical to have because uh, they have to look independently at what, what the assessor does. Well, the independent, I mean, he's, he's, he'd, he'd be walking the streets if it wasn't for Mike Madigan and all his money. So I don't know if you if you call being too close to Mike Madigan independent, I don't know what you might as well call yourself. When is this election? Tell people it's, it's, not, it's not next. It's not a year from now in November. It's it's here. Well, this is March. This, that, and that's another thing they do these things um, to make the scams a little more workable for for their side of the fence. Uh, you have them during primaries when usually the Madigan types and the Burks can control everything. And so in the March primary, and that's where Samantha Steele, um, this past March, was able to win. And, and it'll be down ballot. People won't pay much attention to it. Uh, Larry Rogers has plenty of money, whether or not he'll do ads. He's just waking up to the fact that he's going to have a challenge here. Um, so I, I can't tell you now, except if someone should watch it, look carefully. And uh, if you really want to make a change, you know, other offices are important, but they don't do that much. Okay, at least some of the other county offices. This one is critical. It can make an extraordinary change in the lives of so many people. How do you think the aldermanic uh, balance in the council might reflect on this election? I mean, she's going to, Tucker's going to need support from people. People are going to have to talk about her, help turn out the vote. Um, is this an issue that our aldermen and our ward committee people are aware of? Is there a battle lines being drawn? Uh, some are being um, made more. Remember, this is Cook County, okay? I think Because a number of black elected officials um, uh, from township offices and stuff, I already stepped up and endorsed this Ms. Tucker. Um, Larry Rogers already has the endorsement of the Democratic Party because this is all happening. They always do that. I always hated the way they do the so endorsement. That would mean so Tony Preckwinkle signed off on him? Of course. Um, you know, I mean, Tony's, you know, one of the ones that kind of messed up the Board of Ethics every time it kicked some of these people into you know where. Um, but I'm not blaming Tony. I'm just saying there was no other candidate. And they and when I started these endorsements around July, I, th I think it's always way too early, but that's that's their business. Uh, but that's happened before. There's plenty of people that happened before with Samantha, uh, but she was still able to get enough support. Uh, so yeah, the politicos will be forced, hopefully, to take positions on this. Now, many of them, because of the money that Larry Rogers has, um, will be influential. Um, on the other hand, you know, people see a possibility of some real substantive change. Uh, I don't know. If people look deeply at Rogers and look at all these things I could go into, you know, he, he took all this illegal money and the Board of Ethics said, you've got to give it back. And he ignored them. And then finally, right before the 22 election, he gave the money back, okay, because he'd raised it illegally. But what did he do before he gave the money back? He created a new PAC, a PAC, a PAC, and requested that all those people, those same people that he'd been taking money illegally from, at least too much, just give the money through this way. So, I mean, even if you want to give the guy a break, people that do that kind of stuff, you know, live so much by the dollar and I'll do anything to get the money, you can bet they're not going to be on your side in the long run. Well, I know who I'm going to vote for. <laughs> so, David, well, let, me, let me switch topics here a little bit. Uh, you've been spending some time in Florida now that you're retired. 
Um, and I would like uh, to get your kind of take on not only the state of Florida and the politics down there, but perhaps you could talk a little bit about challenges to voter registration around the country, advances to voter registration. Your take is kind of a dean of uh, voter registration. I mean, you helped a lot of people get registered. You got more votes than anyone in the county, and that would include the mayor of Chicago. Um, fill us in a little bit about Florida <laughs> and voting okay. around the country. All right. I thought you were going to ask me if we could do a show down in Florida, and, and yours truly <laughs> could come down. Um, Anytime. We could do it. We got Zoom. We can go anywhere. <laughs> I, well, I'm always looking for visitors down there because I, I miss everybody, but it is great to get out of the Chicago winters at my age. I hear you. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, coming. Well, Florida is just like many of the more become not just red states. I don't mind conservative. I just don't like right wing zealots. Um, so they always do everything they can. They always stretch everything possible to make it hard. Like in Virginia, uh, the Democratic governor before he left office had done so much to uh, make it easier for former felons to vote. OK, right. and the new Republican governor, who, by the way, don't rule him out. This guy could be oh, a presidential he's, he's a threat. For a long. Uh, he's got lots of money, and he's he's much worse than he appears. He seems kind of like a regular guy, but he's much yeah. worse. But he he messed that all up and uh, slowed down all that. So, yes, Florida's trying its best wherever it can to make things more difficult. Uh, other states are worse, though. Okay, um, other states you can see even if you uh, I heard Trump you know saying something in the news about how elections should only be election day. See, Trump, Trump is, is all these things that we did to, to allow you to vote early. I mean, does Trump not realize that millions of people work on election day? They don't always get off before six or seven o'clock. I mean, all the things that we and others did around the country was because why make it so hard when you can vote early or you could vote by mail? Um, but unfortunately, Trump and his zealots have done everything possible to hurt that. So that is continuing in lots of states. We've won a few court battles. The bottom line, this will continue as long as they have the power they do, okay? If, in fact, we are able to uh, make some successes over the next couple of years, that stuff will, um, it'll loosen up, okay? Because the people want, there's no question the people want it. And there'll be more Republicans using early voting and stuff like that, which might discourage some of the Republican crazies from trying to restrict that because it is, it's popular issues, but they're gonna do everything they can. Um, and particularly it's the, the key states. Florida is not as crucial at the moment, uh, but you know, your, your Michigan's, Wisconsin's, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, uh, there's, there's wars every day. There's legislation being introduced every day on this yeah. stuff. Let me ask you one more question before we have to sign off and go to another guest. Let me ask you your prediction on when we might have uh, get rid of the Electoral College and have uh, the president decided by a popular vote, because that way we would not have had a few Republicans <laughs> that we've had. Oh, uh, everything. Well, uh, that's one key thing, and it's related to the worst part about our structure. We're proud of some of the things that we have that are democratic. The worst thing about it and why we have all these problems today that we wouldn't if, in fact, all of our elected positions, the House and the Senate, were based on population. Uh, you know, that whole slave arrangement, you know, way back a long time ago, 1770s, 
to allow each state to have two and another size. So we have to remember that that's the fundamental problem now. Okay, um, we wouldn't have all these crazy right wing senators if you didn't have two from Wyoming with a million and a half people and two from California with 39 million people. It's blatantly discriminatory. It's anti-democratic, but it's something we set up. We've changed a lot of other things, you know, about that were happening back in the 1770s. Um, but that relates to the Electoral College. It's only going to happen. I, I don't want to say that because there's good people working on it. But we have to have a stronger um, electoral um, support than we have right now. Okay, it's yeah. still it's still too close. Um, uh, although we've won most of the popular vote, so that that's still our fundamental problem is convincing enough people uh, because this is a, this is ultimately a long legal challenge if we we really would change the way in which uh, you start with electoral college and you follow up with the U.S. Senate. Uh, but we should be bringing it up every every time possible because you these people would not have the power they have right now if the U.S. Senate uh, was like the U.S. House based on population. Well. We got a lot of work to do. We have a lot of opportunity in front of us. And as a couple of older guys, uh, we're rooting for the younger people to make sure they register, they vote, and they turn out their brothers and sisters, their uncles, their aunts, their mothers, their fathers, and their neighbors, et cetera. David Orr, it's always a pleasure. I've seen you a couple of times recently. I'll probably see you again. It might be in Florida. But I yes. might come see you. When are you leaving? Pretty soon, right? Well, I'll probably leave sometime in December. Okay, well, I'll see you before then. In the okay. morning, you know why. Okay. I know why. Thank All you, right, brother. I'll see you soon. And everybody else, stay really tuned here on the left end of your dial or however you're getting live from the heartland. Uh, we'll be back with another guest. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Over and out for a few minutes. Welcome back to Live from the Heartland. And it uh, gives me a lot of pleasure to bring on our next guest, someone who is not a stranger to the show, but has been not on the show for a little while. And that is the one and only longtime women's rights advocate and current chair of the Police District Council of the 24th District, the one and only Veronica Ariola. 
Hello to Hello. you, Veronica. Hey, great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Uh, well, last time you were on the show, we talked about uh, the police district council, and you were one of uh, a slate of three that Network 49 and I think probably the 49th Ward Democratic Party all mm -hmm. endorsed, and you won the election. So yes, how about does. telling us what the, the police district council is, what it does, and what's going on? Uh, yeah, we won. <laughs> that was, uh, it seems like a lifetime ago. It was just earlier this year. Um, Time flies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, the district councils, uh, our job is essentially to be uh, liaisons between the community and the police um, and to hold monthly meetings in order to talk with the community, hear from the community, their concerns, um, as well as ideas. Um, on how we can create a safer community, and particularly here in the 24th district. So what's been happening? What have you? How many meetings have you had? And what's it like meeting with the police? Are they listening to you, asking you questions, arguing? What's happening? Um, here in the 24th, we've just finished, uh, we just had our fifth meeting last weekend. Um, and they've been going really well. We've been getting um, a good number of people, you know, like around 20 people each meeting, having some really good discussions. Um, we've been really focusing on listening um, to what people are concerned about, worried about, and those things have ranged from the Howard Street L-stop um, and um, the things that are happening around there, um, a rash of shoplifting in the area, um, and um, as well as police engagement with the community. Um, we've also had some people who have been having, um, bringing ideas about making certain um, things that are illegal, legal <laughs> in community in order to reduce crime that goes along with, um, you know, with drugs and sex work. What, what do they want to make legal? More um, drugs? Drugs, uh, drugs and sex work, sex work yes. Uh-huh. Somebody brought, uh -huh. uh, a, um, you know, they, when their public comment, they talked very well and eloquently about how to decouple that um, as well. And, and that's something that we've, I've actually had conversations with uh, the commander of the 24th about is the crime and violence that's around, particularly the drug trade, is to think about <laughs> how, where is that crime coming from? Is it about the transaction or is it about like protecting all of these sorts of things, all these different layers that go around um, the crime that goes around is that comes around drug trade and sex work like where why if we and then that brings a lot of people um, as well as some of our neighbors to consider the fact that if we uh, legalize those things does that immediately bring down crime i have not looked into that in terms of marijuana so that's a research question let me ask you what these meetings are like you've got the three members of the district council you also have citizens who want to listen in or even say something. And then you have members of the police department? Um, sometimes members of the police department come, uh, yes. But they have, if they've attended, they've been, they've just attended. They haven't said anything. Um, we have a really great uh, community. We have a really great relationship with Commander Brennan at the 24th. Um, I've sat down with him a couple of times, seen him at events. Um, I can call or text him anytime I have a question. So this is not an oversight board. It's like a kind of a know more about it and give advice and suggestions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Have, what kind of power do you have? We have a power of suggestion. 
Yeah. Um, so that we have a good relationship with the commander. So if we come up with an idea of like, maybe we can do this um, instead of that, um, and then the, we can feel safer, um, then we have that good relationship with him in order to do that. More of the oversight, the police accountability is at the citywide commission level, which is the citywide commission is who are uh, just voted against the gang database. Voted so, against the what? The gang database. Aha, uh -huh. that's good. Um, so ended the gang database. So the, that citywide commission is where like most of the power in terms of police accountability is. So the police. So at the local level, we have the police district council. At the citywide level, we have a citywide commission. And is there an election going to happen on that citywide commission? No, the citywide commission is appointed. Um, so um, it is appointed through this process where there's one person in each uh, district council. Um, and for the 24th, that's Marilyn Bagan Banks, uh, who's on the nomination committee. The applications will open in January, and anyone who is interested in serving on the citywide commission can apply then. Then the nominations committee goes through that, the, all those applications, does interviews, and presents the um, uh, the mayor with a list, a short list of people who can be then appointed to serve on the commission for the next few years. Veronica, are you in touch with other uh, the, the police district council people from other districts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, How's it you know, going around the city? How, <laughs> what would people say? It's really, it's varied. It's varied. Actually, we're talking today on a Wednesday, and tonight we're having a Northside uh, meeting between the 17th 19th, 20th, and 24th to discuss the police budget. So that's just the uh, the the members of the council or not mm -hmm. citizens coming in. No, citizens are invited to come in, learn what um, it means to what the what we're going to look into the city budget, the the police budget. What what did it look like this year? What does it look like for the proposed budget? Why has the police budget gone up? What are they paying for? Uh, we really want to look under the hood, um, and so. That those sorts of things are not what we were typically used to doing. Uh, we, as in Chicagoans, and so that's what the police districts are here for: is to try and do things differently, uh, bring more democracy to the process, transparency to the process. Um, and so you could see that as police accountability. You're like, why? Why do you have more money? What are you going to use it for? And is it making us safer? What's your sense of the police's response to the police district councils? Well, you know, we were one of the sites that was um, opposed by the uh, the union, so we know what the union thinks about us. But police itself, you know, as I said, uh, Commander Brennan and I have a really good relationship. He's very open. Um, all the officers I've met from the 24th seem to understand that the district councils are here and they're something that they're going to work with. Um, I can't say that that's true across the city. There are definitely some commanders and district councils that are um, not seen eye to eye and are not as in a partner, not in a partnership the way we are up here. In the 24th. Well, we've had so, we've had some good commanders up here, and I, you know, my relationship with the police go back to 1976 here <laughs> and much earlier other places. But I, I certainly had uh, my run-ins here, but I also found a lot of cooperation and help and support. And you know, back in the Heartland Cafe days, we had. Uh, one young fellow who was a busboy who ended up becoming a, a police officer in the mm -hmm. district. Um, yeah. 
Let me ask you a couple other things. I'm going to throw them at you. What's your <laughs> sense of the police contract that the mayor has proposed that does include some behind the scenes? I would I kind of uh, dealing with police who are uh, accused of heavy, heavy crimes, let's say. And uh, yeah, so the, of, what's going on? Yeah. So over the summer, an arbitrator um, ruled that the police union is protected under a statewide rule about unions and people in those unions should be able to have access to an arbitrator no matter what the um no matter what they have done and whatever the um uh discipline would look like whether it's a suspension for 10 days or a whole year or even being fired um and in the from what i understand from what i've read the marathon um has signed a contract that includes that in the next place contract. Um, but I am still learning on how the whole process works. From what I understand, the next step will be a city council hearing. And I do believe that our city council people can object to that part of the contract, right. which is there was uh, a number of us counselors who wrote a letter, co-signed a letter over the summer, urging our city council members to oppose that part of the contract. Yeah, I think my sense, what I heard was that uh, it's going to the city council, but that that will be separate. They can vote on that separately. Yeah. And uh, I would bet that it doesn't get approved, but I know I'm not sure if my counting is correct. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, as I said, I'm still learning this, this process and learning what that means um, and how we as police councilors can engage in that process and advocate for different things working with our 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 alders in the 24th we have four alders and a really good partnership with at least three of them um that's good to hear now let me ask you another thing that's in the news and that's mm -hmm. that um there are some people who participated in the january 6th rebellion or whatever mm -hmm. we call insurrection mm -hmm. and some of them I think six are members of the Chicago Police Department. So there's a lot of uh, discussion about it. The new police superintendent on Tuesday vowed, quote, thorough investigations, end quote, following our, quote, extremism in the ranks. Uh, and this is referring to a series in the Sun-Times. But uh, neither he nor other police brass explained the department's lack of action since a membership list for an extremist group was leaked two years ago. What do you got to say about all that? I mean, that's again, um, it's disappointing. It's outrageous. Um, I'm really mad about that. And a lot of us are very mad and disappointed about that. Um, but um, I, as I was reading more about this, is that there are, um, it's, I don't think that there is actually a rule against it. Um, yeah, which well, is really unfortunate, which means that we have to go back to a contract. Um, and so there's there are all these rules. And yes, it's a bureaucracy, um, but something has to be done and we we can't be safe. Um, I mean, the, the Sun-Times article um, in report is a really great piece of, of journalism that shows like how a, a young black man was harmed uh, by someone who has a membership in a white supremacist organization. Um, hate crimes continue to go up in Chicago. 
uh, hate crimes against Black people, um, LGBTQ people. Um, there's a rise in anti-Semitism. Those are all three areas where white supremacist groups are, are that's, their, that's their ground. That's what they do. Um, and so we have to, as a city, have to have a handle on if we are going to say that the police officers on the streets are supposed to be protecting all of us, then clearly white supremacists are not protecting all of us. We have to address oh, that. Oh, I know. And the people who may want to look into it, the Sun-Times has been running a series examining extremism in the department. And the article you referred to is about a guy named Jerron Mitchell, who was a star football player until he was injured while being detained by a state trooper who was tied to extremism. Mm -hmm. um, we got a couple minutes left. You got any uh, any things that we left out that you would like to talk about? I mean, I, you might want to tell us where people can go to these meetings uh, yeah. and see you in action with the police district council, yeah. what, when they are, et cetera. Fill us in on anything you'd like that I didn't ask you or that you want to share. Uh, we have two more meetings for this year, November 12th. Um, at Edgewater Library um, and December 10th at the Northtown Library. Both meetings are at 3 p.m. on a Sunday. Um, we are trying to set our calendar by the December meeting for 2024. Um, you can reach us on social on Facebook and Instagram at 24th District. Um, I believe we are there is a there is a website, CCPSA, on the city website um, and has lists all of our meetings as well. So you we really been, do want people to come on out and voice their um, concerns and ideas. Oh, that would be good. So you've been a longtime women's rights advocate. Yeah. And, um, you know, and you've been on the show for that even before you were uh, involved with the police district council. Do you have anything about women's rights you would like to talk about and share? Because it's always oh. a big issue. You know, I just heard today that um, the number of abortions that have happened in this country since uh, Roe v. Wade. Bell um, has only gone up, so right. the making it illegal did not uh, do what the right wing thought it was going to do. Uh, in fact, Illinois was number one in the number of abortions uh, performed in this country, and I have to say that that is um, because we have fortified the state as a way to um, be a place for all the other states that surround us who have reduced their access to abortion or eliminated access to abortion. We have people who are coming from miles and miles away to access this very important healthcare um, procedure. And I'm, I'm actually really proud of us. Um, uh, Illinois, did what we were supposed to do. Illinois is a great state. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we are surrounded by uh, the likes of uh, Indiana. Uh, Michigan is pretty good, but Indiana, uh, Kentucky, and Missouri. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are some really backward ass places these days. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, they've, they've, uh, in, in Iowa as well, and Wisconsin out for a while. Wisconsin oh, right, really Iowa. Touch, was touch and go in terms of what their access yeah. to abortion was. So, well, um, we had to do some heavy lifting here uh, in order to make sure that the, the people of this country had access to um, one of the most common healthcare procedures um, that one can have in their lifetime. So, well, I want to thank you for coming on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I don't see you as often since the restaurant is closed. Yeah. A few years. Right. <laughs> but, I, know. Uh, I, I have seen you via Zoom on this show, and I'll uh -huh. probably see you at one of these meetings or at a yeah. rally. Who knows what? 
Who but knows thank why. you, Veronica Ariola. Thank you. you. Any last words of wisdom to the masses who are watching or listening? Uh, I mean, just keep staying engaged. You know, it's it's hard out there right now, um, and it's hard to uh, lose hope. But I find my hope in community. Right on, sister. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Live from the Heartland, however you get it, whether it's on Can TV or WLUW or Spotify or Google Podcasts or YouTube.com slash Heartland Media. I want to thank Veronica Ariola and David Orr, our guests today. I want to thank our engineer, Hal James. I want to thank my uh, co-producers, Tom Clark and Katie Hogan and Lynn Orman. And... Um, with all that said, I want to encourage you all to do good in the world. The world needs all the good that we all do. So all power to the people. Get it on. Have a great week. Are you doing the best you can? Over the mountain, under the big blue sky, you got a dream awaiting. I can see it in your eye. It may not come easy. But you know you've got a friend I'll be by your side the entire ride Just let me hear you say amen Are you doing, doing Are you doing the best you can?